Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human program. And my guest today is Rabbi Levi Aftson, and he's going to be helping me actually understand the human condition as our topic is freedom. That song that we've just heard, it was not my choice, but actually I can I can actually say that I love Rabbi Levi Upson. <laughs> he is has been an unbelievable support to me and an, an, an encouragement. And actually it is because of him that I'm talking to him today because he encouraged me to come on Chayabim five years ago. Welcome Rabbi Upson. Has it been five years? Yes, it has been. Can you believe it? Wow. <laughs> and, and, and I haven't even gone gray. But I just want to tell you a bit about Rabbi Aftson. Uh, Rabbi Aftson has a podcast series uh, on, uh, that you can always pick up, which is great. It's really daily podcasts on inspiration. One of his is Less Oi, More Joy, which you'll enjoy. He's also an article, or an author of many articles. He is a presenter on Chai FM and the Verbringen show. And he is the senior rabbi of Linksfield Shul, which is my shul. You know, Rabbi Uriel Wigler said that he was inspired by my friend Rabbi Levi Upson, who wrote an article, 10 Things I Love About South Africa. So he wrote, 10 reasons why he loves New York. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely harder than my article. <laughs> I wonder if he would agree with you there. Uh, you, you know, we're talking about freedom today, and uh, Soren Kierkegaard, who was the Danish philosopher in the 19th century, said, anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. The dizziness, the dizzying effect of looking into the boundlessness of one's own possibilities. Without anxiety, there would be no possibility and therefore no capacity to grow and develop as a human being. That is the freedom. What, how do you define freedom? Wow. Um, so each year when it comes to Pesach season, first of all, Sue, I have to say I'm so grateful for the eulogy. Um, rarely do people get to hear about uh, themselves while they're still alive. I guess there's no point in dying anymore. Um, you know, the only reason I was looking forward to death a bit was to hear my eulogy, but now you know, I've heard it already. Um, for me, like as this season comes close to Pesach, freedom is definitely the word that gets thrown around the most. But I have to say that freedom is something that we have a very ambivalent relationship with, especially in the past year of COVID when, you know, so many of our so-called freedoms were hindered or taken away or compromised. We love freedom, but we don't, also don't love it. And let me explain what I mean. Research, research has shown over and over, if you show up to a uh, store and they have 60 different jams, 
the chances of you buying a jam are much less if there's 60 than if there were three jams. Because for me, the word freedom is the synonym of choice. And it's interesting we use the expression free choice because for me they're actually just a repetitive. The definition of freedom is you get the freedom to choose. A person who's not free has no choice or a lot of their choices are taken away. So if you, if you choose to define freedom as choice, then ultimately, on the one hand, we love freedom. On the other hand, many of us have a very ambivalent feeling to it. You know, choices overwhelm us, choices stress us out, choices can feel very disempowering. And actually, I spoke about it yesterday. It's something that really like hit me when I was giving in a shear to some of the, some some people in the community. Is we have to actually ask ourselves after a year of COVID and so many of our choices being compromised, what's our relationship with freedom? Do we crave it? Do we want it? You know, I grew up in America. America's liberty obsessed. Everything's about liberty. Are we liberty obsessed? Should we be liberty obsessed? Does freedom mean that I want to have every single freedom possible? Because then religion is a big hindrance to that because religion tells me what to do. Marriage is a hindrance to that because marriage tells me, um, you know, what I can and can't do. Having children is a hindrance to that. So I actually think, and I would actually love to hear your thoughts before I, you know, I share mine. How would you define freedom? Because if freedom is such a virtue, and there's no subtlety and nuance to it, then we have a problem with it because is freedom always a great thing? Is it not? What would you say? I, I must admit, I'm thinking about freedom as I was preparing for our, our talk today. I was thinking about freedom and children and bringing up children. And I was thinking that it's, you know, uh, Viktor Frankl talks about the Statue of Liberty being on the one coast and that he believes that there needs to be the Statue of um, uh, Responsibility on the other coast. And and quite honestly, I think that's exactly where freedom has to come in with our children, that there is no such thing as total freedom. Freedom without responsibility is most certainly anarchy, and we've seen it in our lives. We've seen it in families who just believe, you know, everything. There's no, there's freedom of choice. Now, children, to become responsible human beings, I think they have to understand that while we give them a certain amount of choice, there is always a responsibility that comes with it. Unless we teach our children that freedom is not just freedom of any type of behavior or whatever they want to do, unless we teach them the responsibility towards others, towards themselves, towards community, we've actually failed in being parents. I agree. And I've always found it fascinating. You know, often we focus on Pesach, the holiday of freedom, but we never realize that the second day of Pesach, we already start counting, the, the second day of Passover, we already start counting now 49 days to the next holiday. And what's that holiday, which is much less popular? Shavuot, the day that God gave the Ten Commandments. Now, that's very interesting. Why would you start counting down while you're still in Passover to the next holiday? Why can't you just wait for Passover to be over and then count down? And the answer is because freedom without the Ten Commandments is not freedom. What God was telling us is if we don't combine these two holidays, if we don't combine the concept of freedom that comes through in Passover and the concept of obligation and responsibility that comes with Shavuot, then that's not freedom. 
Freedom doesn't happen in isolation. I always say, like, I remember hearing one time that quote from Let It Go. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. And I think mm. that's the most ridiculous line. No right, <laughs> no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. No, you're not free. You're actually so enslaved to your impulse. You might be wild, you might be anarchy, but at least in the Jewish definition of freedom, you are so not free. Absolutely, and that reminds me of a of a quote I read, I don't even know who it was from, but about a bird in a cage believes that birds that are flying free are very ill. So I think, you know, that if we actually look at what what you're saying about freedom coming with Pesach, I think so many, and, and then the Shavuot, I think so often Pesach is is. Uh, considered uh, absolutely uh, 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 totally free of freedom. But coming from a, a converted background, I must admit for many, many years, and it's been 40 years now, for 40 years when Pesach comes around, I think to myself, why on earth didn't I go and buy Easter eggs instead? <laughs> <laughs> but the freedom is for me that I've chosen to actually do this to my home, to, to you know, what I, what I do do. And I read a very interesting uh, article by the Rebbe, but I'm going to get back to that in a moment. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back on Finding Human, and I'm back with Rabbi Levi Upson, and we're talking about the concept of freedom. Rabbi, I was saying, I'd read an article about, or that the Rebbe had, had said, and, and he said there's a fear of freedom. He was talking about the fear of freedom, and he was talking about the spies, and how when they came back to the Israelites, and they, they told them there were giants, and there was fear, he said, why did so many of them come back with that? What was their fear of freedom? Because in actual fact, it was totally, the, 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 the whole scenario was very different to what they were reporting. Can you comment on that? Yes, so let me just give some background on the spy story. Not too long after the exodus, the Jewish people originally, the original plan was they were going to head straight from Egypt into the desert, into the Holy Land. Now, the, Moshe sent spies to kind of check out the best way to conquer the land. They came back and instead of offering strategies how to conquer the land, they came back and said, it's impossible, we cannot conquer it. Now the Jews all fell apart, it's, they kind of cried, screamed, etc. And God said, you know what, 40 years in the desert and, and pretty much that whole generation, at least of men, died in the desert. So the question is asked, at least from a deeper perspective, why didn't they want to go into the land? I mean, even if the people in the, that were living in the land at the time were strong and mighty, they just saw God take them out of Egypt with the splitting of the sea, with ten plagues. What are they afraid of? And therefore the Rebbe explores this idea that it wasn't so much they were afraid of people, they were afraid of themselves. What happens once I get out of the land, uh, out of the desert, go into of society, I have to earn a living, unlike in a desert where manna falls from heaven and water flows to my doorstep, I'm going to have to earn a living, I'm going to have to struggle, 
and they became terrified by the responsibility that would come with freedom. And they pretty much said, we want to stay in the desert or go back to Egypt, because at least slavery and the desert are predictable. Freedom is is unpredictable because it's very much based on my choices versus versus um, slavery, which is based on somebody else's choices. And then it's easier to play the victim. So they were terrified of actually taking on freedom and the responsibility that comes with it. And the Ibn Ezra, one of the great um, Middle Age sages, says that that's why that desert, that generation had to die in the desert and couldn't make it into the land because they were so into the slave mentality, they could not imagine living in freedom. Mm. And only their children who were born in the desert and weren't necessarily conditioned to be a slave, they were able to embrace freedom, even though it was quite a journey for them as well, as you can read in the book of Joshua and Judges. So I think the powerful message over here is that we have a very ambivalent relationship with freedom. Because freedom, by definition, comes with responsibility. Freedom does not mean the freedom to drug myself up or the freedom to get addicted to any addiction on the planet or the freedom to waste my life or the freedom to overeat until I uh, plot. Like that's, that, yes, you're technically free while you do it, but is that really what freedom is? And, you know, going back to, uh, to the Rebbe again, you know, I do think even tying that in with COVID in a moment, I, I want to mention that as well because of that that fear of freedom. I think uh, people are beginning to experience it now. I've noticed going into level one that there's a fear. And you know, the Rebbe also went on to say that the spies were just were not just they were not just randomly chosen out of the population. They were men who were heads of the people of Israel. So in other words, they were leaders. And uh, they were they were not people that were given lightly to fear. So um, you know, so he was saying that um, they, they, he's uh, was that they were afraid of what they were going to be letting go of of success of actually moving forward of looking at choices again. And I think just tying that into to COVID, um, I think there's a lot of fear right now of people actually being given permission to do a bit more and saying, no, we're not going to do that yet. We'll wait and see. And, you know, maybe other people want to do it, but I'm not going to do it. Are you noticing that that type of uh, So I'm going to say something that's going to get me into hot water, and I'm a rabbi, not a sociologist. But my observation, looking around and talking to people working in various schools, seeing in children as well, and me dealing with adults, is in many ways we, we've regressed over this year because – a lot of freedoms were taken away from us and became comfortable. And ultimately, if there was dysfunction, it was, the, you know, the fact that I don't have a job, the fact that the government locks me down, etc. We became very comfortable at not taking ownership on dysfunction. And now that the chicken's coming to roost and, like, you know, we're, we're, we're struggling. And I'm seeing an incredible amount of drama, an incredible amount of chaos and like many children who are struggling to actually, you know, they moved into a new grade and struggling to move to that new grade versus because they, they not only didn't have last year a, a, a real year, they actually, many of them regressed because they didn't have freedom. They were being held by mommy and daddy every single moment. There was very little independence and the responsibility that comes with this. 
And I think it's going to be a huge long-term ramification of this um, lockdown and the pandemic is our readjusting to freedom. Because I'll be honest, until COVID, I never really understood people who live in totalitarian societies. I know that in every totalitarian society, there's many people who want freedom. But if every single person wanted freedom over there, then the totalitarianism couldn't continue. I'm not blaming the victim. I'm just saying that's a basic reality. And I don't think any of them intentionally want bad for themselves. But after watching a, a year of this, I realized how taking away freedoms can become comfortable. Mm, I have to agree with you there. And if anyone would like to actually join the conversation, please do so on SMS 34519 or telegram us on 061-895-1019. I agree with you that I have also noticed in myself as well that there are times that I'm actually having to say to myself, do this, go out. You know, leave the comfort of your home and step outside these boundaries. You've got choices here. And to actually give myself permission so that when I read that uh, Soren uh, Kierkegaard's quote that anxiety is the dizziness of freedom, I actually took it to mean for me that the, the choice of freedom can cause anxiety. Great it doesn't anxiety. I would say it does. It does, definitely. The Remember, more free society, sorry, Sue, the more free society, the more antidepressants there are, the more depression there is. And there's no question about it. And the more free the world is becoming, <clears throat> the more we pay a price. It's the byproduct because decision making is frightening. Having somebody make the decisions for you is disempowering, but it's you can play the victim card, which is a much more comfortable spot. Well, you know, the, the well, there's also this freedom of speech. And I know I'm probably going to get into trouble here, but, go, you know, there's a lot going on about the Meghan Markle and uh, Harry um, uh, talk at the moment. And I actually believe that a lot of it is and it's that people are really so gravitated towards it. It's on every single news outlet. And to, to a certain extent, I think it's an escape from uh, COVID at the moment. It's, a, it's an escape from COVID fatigue. I see you laughing because you know I'm going to get into trouble. But no, no I, I'll be honest. I agree with you. I think in general, the whole royal obsession, the, the obsession with the royals, which basically they have no power, but they're, they're royals, <clears throat> and why billions of people watch the wedding, etc., is because it's a fascinating escape. We don't consider them real human beings. They're royals after that. They don't have real feelings. So when Megan starts coming and saying, I'm suicidal and this and that, nah, she knew what she's getting into, blah, 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 blah. And it's so easy to take the you know, human kind of escape. But that's why you have magazines that are full of tabloids. That's why you have people magazine. What are all, what's the whole celebrity culture? It's all escapism. Uh, that is, unfortunately, it is that escapism. And, you know, and then this this week, and it was a story that, that was pretty much overlooked, and I, I felt it was very, it was a, a great shame because it showed the, the responsibility that this person had taken. It was in Myanmar, and in Myanmar, as you know, there was this military coup in, in uh, last month, 
and uh, there were a lot of protesters, and the protesters were unarmed, but they were being uh, faced by armed military. And a nun, her name was uh, Rosa, uh, Rosa somebody, I can't even remember what her surname was. I did write it down because I thought it was important to say, Sister Anne Rosa. She was a nun. She went and she knelt down with her arms out to protect the protesters behind her. And I thought, what an amazing thing. She pleaded with the police not to harm the protesters. And she said that she was overcome with fear, but that she thought, well, maybe today I will die. And then, of course, they they were, they were um, shooting everybody with tear gas. But I thought to myself, you know, what an incredible example of of a human being who stepped forward and said, this is not right. I will try actually stop this this massacre that was going to be taking place because a lot of them were shot but it showed an unbelievable freedom of thought there yeah um listen i mean even within every one of us you know it's very easy to make life binary some of us are free and some of us are not free it's never like that in other words yes that's an exceptional story but i'd like to believe even those of us who maybe became very comfortable with the uh, freedoms taken away, also have moments of freedom, moments of freedom of choice, where we choose not to allow the feelings of the circumstance to take over, but rather to choose a different reaction. And for me, the most important part of freedom is to remember that you actually are free. Most of us forget that. Most mm-hmm. of us forget. No one's forcing you. And, and I know this is like a cliche, that what they do to you doesn't force your reaction, but it's true. They could be miserable to you. They could be so mean to you. But nobody forced you to open your mouth and use an expletive. Nobody forced you to feel sorry for yourself. And nobody forced you to 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 give it back to them. This idea that anybody can make us do a choice is the most miserable thing to say about ourselves. In other words, what we say is we're manipulatable. Mm-hmm. Yes, we can be manipulated, but only if we're not aware the moment you're aware that every billboard is trying to manipulate you, the moment you're aware that every advert that comes into your Facebook feed is trying to manipulate you, and the mo- moment you think you realize that that person in your family which is triggering you is manipulating you, at that moment you could stop being manipulated. That awareness itself can save you. And it can save others. And, you know, uh, saying that, there was another story of an Asian man on a subway in New York and he was beaten up, and nobody, absolutely nobody, he called out for help. He he was a man of 61. He called for help, asking people to please just help him to to stop this attacker who was attacking him and and, uh, and um, swearing at him about being of Asian descent and the virus and what have you, and nobody stepped forward. So there again, I think that... There was almost like, to me, a mass lethargy there of of what they have been taught in the last year with with all the um, Trump and what have you and against Asian people. Here they were literally, they, they weren't bothering to see that this innocent man was being beaten up and that one of them could have stepped forward. So I'll be honest, I've spent a lot of hours of my life on the New York subway. Um, I had a subway stop, a three-minute walk from my house. And unfortunately, that's very much the subway culture. It's pretty much each person goes in 
even though for the next 15, 20 minutes you're sharing destiny with whoever's in the car, you pretty much don't look, you don't acknowledge, you try to find the corner, you stare at your phone, um, and you just, you know, I always say whenever I fly on a plane, I say for the next 15 hours, because that's usually the flights I take to New York, even though I don't know anybody on this plane, all of us are going to be sharing destiny. If one of them does something stupid, we're all going down. And that <laughs> irony, that I always find the fascinating that like for the next 15 hours, I am sharing destiny with people from all over the world who I have nothing in common with, who I don't know their names, who I will never speak to again. But we need each other right now because if one of us acts like a total idiot or just does something really stupid or heaven forbid even dies, we're all going to suffer the consequences. But we, we forget that. We forget. We, go, we think we're on the subway and we're in isolation. We're not. We're so, so, you know what, we don't look at the collective, and I think that's part of freedom. Freedom actually is recognizing that we're not in this alone. And, and I would have thought that, if anything, COVID would have taught that, that it's a collective pandemic. It's we're not there on our own. I see so, some come through. Just hang on a sec. Hi, them. Current program, great discussion. Please include Stockholm Syndrome. Keep up the very good work, Garth. I don't think we're going to be able to actually get onto that Stockholm Syndrome, but we will do that another time because another question came through to me, and it says, um, what do you think about uh, freedom of speech? Well, we've kind of thought about, spoken about that, but funny enough, um, that's that did come up as well and probably because of uh, what's just been going on and then this came through as well yesterday when once it went on to facebook judaism appears to be a religion of rules where is the freedom in that so actually from all the questions we answered that already because without rules you don't have freedom you have anarchy um raising a child without a bedtime you're not raising a free child you're raising a child that's absolutely mad um, not getting enough sleep, driving to bananas, having sugar rush. Is that free? That's anarchy. I don't think freedom is um, what we think freedom is. Freedom doesn't mean there's no rules. On the contrary, that is, that's, that's the jungle. Uh, very definitely. So would you say that that was another one? Would you say that, that Judaism actually brought the, 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 the concept of freedom with and responsibility to the world? Yeah, listen, I think it, it, even Jews, we struggled with it, as I mentioned earlier, like, you know, the generation of the desert. When the, we see that originally when Moses shows up and says, I'm taking the Jews out, they say, yay! Next time he shows up, he says, I'm taking you out and I'm bringing you to the mountain to get to the commandments. And suddenly there's no yay. <laughs> it, it says they didn't listen to Moshe. Why? Because, yeah, we've always had that ambivalence. We love the idea of let me do it. I mean, which teenager wants to have rules? Which child wants to have rules? But we know, even from a psychological perspective, kids crave rules even though they can't articulate it. And kids that grow up without rules go mad. Now, I want to go back to the topic you mentioned earlier, um, and that is the idea that we thought that COVID would change us. A year ago, exactly, we were having our first COVID shows, um, like when we moved on to Skype. And I remember like this wishful thinking that COVID is going to transform us. But one thing that you realize, nothing transforms you unless you decide to be transformed. An outside circumstance, on the contrary, can bring out lots of different stuff, but nothing's going to really change us. And only now, a year later, we're starting to realize the ramifications of 
the emotional ramifications of this. And I think only now is when growth can begin. Because a year ago, we were in shock. We had no idea what's coming in. We kind of allowed ourselves to be led like sheep. Um, you know, okay, tell me what to do next. Say boo, say ba, say that. But only now are we actually realizing, okay, wow. Um, in some places, I've definitely progressed. But in many places, I've regressed. Um, where am I? What am I? And like this Pesach, we must ask ourselves those questions. We'll get back to that. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Sue Jackson, and we're um, with Rabbi Levi Upson, and we're about to listen to a short YouTube by a favorite of both Rabbi Upson's and mine, Rabbi Twersky, and it's called What is the Purpose of Life? I think it's important for a person, in order to have a feeling of self-worth and a feeling of self-esteem, to have a purpose in life. Living a purposeless life, uh, so what, what kind of significance is that, right? And tell the story of two vagrants who were arrested for loitering, right? And uh, the judge asked one guy, what were you doing when you were arrested? He said, nothing. He asked the other one, what were you doing when you were arrested? He says, I was helping him. If you're helping somebody who is doing nothing, you're doing nothing, right? And uh, I think if we have this kind of domino thing where everybody's helping everybody else, but nobody has an idea of what it's for. So I think we have to have a sense of purpose. And this may be where religion comes in, that religion says, no, the world wasn't a big accident. It was created for a purpose. And if you don't know what that purpose is, investigate, right? Look for a purpose in life, a purpose of the world and a purpose for yourself in the world. Because otherwise, to feel purposeless, my example is this. Uh, what kind of things have value to us? I tell people, go home and look at what kind of things you own. Right? There are some things that are uh, aesthetic, ornamental. They have no function, but they're ornamental. And there are some things that have a function, and their value is in their function. Okay. You have a beautiful grandfather clock. Right? It stops working. It can't be repaired. You keep it there because it's a beautiful piece of furniture. Right? It's ornamental. It's attractive. You have a can opener that goes dull. It's not ornamental, you throw it away. Ornamental, aesthetic, versus function. Those are the only two criteria for that. What about me? Ornamental? I look in the mirror and I realize, uh uh-uh. No, not ornamental. Well, my value then has to be on function. Well, what is my function? Is my function coming home from work, kicking off my shoes, putting on the slippers, sitting in front of the TV with a six can of beer? Yeah, that's not a function that can make anybody proud of being who a self one is. So I think that uh, in order to get a good sense of self-worth, and by the way, to give it to our children also, we have a purpose. What is my purpose in life? And within the family, what does this family stand for? If we look for a purpose, uh, it was a very uh, great rabbi who says, the looking is the finding. Right? Search, yeah, it's not a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Right? But as you search, you know, you develop your uh, traits, you develop your skills, uh, you develop your uh, philosophy of life, begin to search. Too many people don't search. Everything is taken for granted. This is the way the world is. So I think that we have to search for purpose. Many people will find a humanistic purpose. My purpose in life is trying to make life better for others. My purpose in life is trying to do something about the environment, right? Uh, to, uh, to avoid acid rain, whatever. Okay. My purpose in life is to trying to do something about famine in Ethiopia. 
you can find a purpose, but you have to look for a purpose. Too often, people just go along, traveling along from day to day, without giving any thought to purpose. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back on Finding Human, and I'm with Rabbi Levi Upson. Um, you know, just before we go on, I actually wanted to thank Craig and Wussy for keeping us on air as they do all the time. Rabbi, what did you think of what I know you love what Rabbi Tversky says, as I do. But, you know, there again, he's talking about the cho- our cho- choice to find a purpose. What did it mean to you? Listen, first of all, I mean, the passing of Rabbi Torsky a few weeks ago is a huge, huge loss. I, you know, you think about it, three of the greatest and most quoted uh, speakers in Jewish world, specifically in English, Rabbi Torsky, Rabbi Sachs, and Rabbi Steinsaltz, all passed away this past year, which I think is actually... Yeah, and like, uh, they're irreplaceable. Um, so yeah, there's no question that Rabbi... Listen, Rabbi Tversky, obviously, so on point, so, so, I mean, he was a person who dealt with addictions, and that was his specialty, and he saw, you know, he saw the malice of our society, on the one hand, you know, in the West, we've become freer than ever before, on the other hand, we've we've used that freedom quite all too often to self-destruct, to hurt ourselves, and you're then forced to ask, you know, okay, so like that question came earlier, isn't religion negating freedom? With with total respect to the person asking that question, after so long of, of seeing freedom without responsibility and without rules, is that still a question? In other words, haven't we had enough of the last 200 years of enlightenment and freedom and seeing the, the, the downsides Two world wars, unbelievable tyranny around the world, um, addiction, obesity, etc., 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 depression. Like, haven't we seen enough to sit there saying, you know what? Maybe our worship of freedom has to be realized. We thought it doesn't mean that we. It's not two alternatives. That's the problem that's often given. As I said earlier, life isn't binary. It's not either freedom. Or let's go back to the cave, or let's go to North Korea. It's not that. Like, and when conversations become so, you know, binary and so simplistic, then yeah, I'll obviously choose the freedom over the North Korea. But that's not the alternative. The alternative is yes, give people freedom, but also teach people how to live with freedom. Teach ourselves, give ourselves a value system. And that choice is part of the human condition. So, you know, it does have to be taught often, and especially in young children, to actually let them understand their choices and the the ramifications of their choices also. So often we, we try and protect uh, children from the ramifications of their choices, and parents take responsibility for their children's behaviour. Um, what, you know, what are we teaching our children? Something else has just come through. From uh, it's Karen Ashri, uh, uh, awesome show today. Especially the music, loved it. Uh, there might have been the music before. Um, 
uh, just hang on. Um, very worthwhile discussion. Thank you. This is from Judy Erwig from Australia. True freedom requires the rule of law and justice and a judicial system in which the systems of, of some, sorry, it's, uh, hang on. Just let me start, do that again. True freedom requires the rule of law and justice and a judicial system in which the rights of some are not secured by the denial of rights to others. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. Thank you, Judy. That's, what do you say about that, Rabbi? Absolutely. That's, that's what you've been saying as well. Um, we're going to add break. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson and I'm back with Rabbi Levi Atson. And our time, as usual, is running out very quickly. Rabbi, I would like to actually discuss with you attitude. You know, Viktor Frankl says, the last and greatest of the human freedoms is the freedom to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. That's by Viktor Frankl. And I was trying to send you a message just now through the screen on saying attitude, but you couldn't make it out and I couldn't tell you. <laughs> that is the, that's the choice of Skype. <laughs> one, thing, one thing you realize uh, about ourselves, about the human condition, is we often get into a vicious cycle. We, we see ourselves as victim, then we do stupid things. So then we are a victim of ourselves, but then we, we don't want to see that we're a victim of ourselves, so we, we blame others. And like I often find that you just enter into relationships with certain people that once they see themselves as a victim, it all never ends. In other words, everything fits into that narrative. So you have to ask yourself at some stage, what's the common denominator with all your narratives? Is your common denominator responsibility? Is your common denominator victim? Is your common denominator optimism? Is your common denominator negativity? Like, think of the events that's happened to you in the last week. What's the common denominator to all, other than the fact that they happened to you? And I, I think that that would be quite enlightening, because we do. We get into these attitudes, and everything just becomes a self-fulfilling reality. You see yourself as nobody, you don't have any friends. So then you don't actually know how to build friendships. So you don't actually nurture friends. So then nobody really likes me. Then I don't like myself because nobody likes me because I don't like myself. And like, you're like, yeah. Vicious, vicious cycle. It's such a vicious cycle. And at some stage you realize, stop. Stop thinking about anything outside yourself. The healthier you become in your own head, everything around you is going to transform. The and moment we get ourselves healthy, things shift around us. So let us look at the choice we have to actually make ourselves healthy in mind, body, spiritually, physically, and emotionally. The only person that's you're in control of is yourself. Absolutely. And I think that's often where the fear comes in, that we are in control of ourselves. We can't help, uh, hand our freedom over to someone else. Uh, Rabbi, I'm getting a message from Craig to wrap up. Um, he's going to be playing a, a song by the Maccabees, Keep Your Head Up. And I think that's, I would like to just say to everyone, we have gone on to level one. Just be careful, but at the same time, live your lives. Rabbi, how would you like to end? Yeah, and let's remember that freedom is a gift that comes with a lot of wrappings. 
So treat it delicately. Treat it with love and appreciate the gift because we are living in a blessed generation that we have these freedoms. Let's not waste this gift. Thank you so much, Rabbi, on those very wise words. We will wrap up. Thank you so much, Craig, and thank you, everybody, who sent messages in and who listened today.